Uh, but let me just ask you for a moment. Um, how do you like your stories? What kind of stories do you enjoy? If you're reading a novel or if you're watching a film uh, or, or something like that, uh, some people, when they do that, they need to know that somehow, in the end, it will have a happy ending. Is, is that you? Uh, maybe um, some people are like that. You know, your kind of film is one where you can, in, you can enjoy the excitement. A little bit of jeopardy is fine, as long as you know it's all going to work out okay in the end. The good guys are going to win, I guess, basically. Uh, other people uh, like their drama a bit more gritty, and maybe that is you. You know, you would argue perhaps a little bit more realistic and true to life. Maybe the good guys will win, but maybe they won't. Because, you know, the world is a dangerous place. Bad things sometimes happen. It doesn't always work out in the end. Maybe that is you. Uh, I'm not saying that either of those approaches is better than the other. It's just interesting to reflect. In fact, there's a whole fascinating subject, I think, about how Christians respond to literature and to drama and uh, what that means, how we should approach culture. But what I do want to say this morning as we begin is this. Jonah is definitely in the second category of types of story there, isn't he? He is not a happy ever after kind of guy. Uh, chapter 4, that bit um, that we've just heard, often doesn't get into the children's Bible versions of Jonah, does it? And it shows us all of this about his character. The story of the angry prophet. Because chapter 3 kind of does give us a potentially happy ending, doesn't it? If you were here last week... Uh, if only the story stopped there. We, you know, we had a great all-age service. Thank you to, to Lizzie and Emily and Tom. Um, Tom is still okay. He's not recovering from what he did last week, by the way. He's just at Houghton this morning. But we saw, didn't we, that after Jonah's disobedience and after God had, had rescued him from the belly of the whale, finally he did go and preach to the people of Nineveh. And they did turn from their, their evil ways. And everyone lived happily ever after. So you would think if you stopped at the end of chapter 3. But no, there's another chapter. And Jonah is not happy. He is sulking. He is extremely angry. If you just glance back to the last verse of chapter 3, it says this. When God saw what the people of Nineveh did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Good news, you would think, couldn't you? But Jonah does not think that. He becomes angry. In fact, he's so angry at what has happened, he would rather be dead, which he tells us three times in the verses we've just heard. And so God asks Jonah a question. And God's question is kind of the key to this passage, I think. God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? He asks it twice. So, first one. To Jonah... This seemed very wrong, i.e. it seems wrong that God has relented and has given the people of Nineveh mercy instead of justice. And Jonah became angry. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. Interesting to notice, isn't it? Jonah hasn't lost his faith. He hasn't stopped believing in God. He's still praying. He's just angry. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Basically, he's saying, look, I knew it. I was right. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. It's quite an accusation, isn't it? A God who relents from sending calamity. In other words, though, we can say Jonah has got some good theology. He is correct in what he says here, isn't he? He's understood a lot about the character of God. 
Uh, God is called these things repeatedly through the Bible, and he acts in line with what Jonah has said as well. Gracious and compassionate. That's how he treats his people down through the centuries. Slow to anger and abounding in love. And Jonah knows this well. But he doesn't like it. He doesn't like some of the implications of what he knows to be true about God, which is that he will also be like this towards the people that Jonah hates. So Jonah says, verse 3, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Quite a thing to say to God, isn't it? Basically, tried to run away. I knew it was futile, but at least I gave it a go. Here we are. No surprises. You've done what I knew you would do. I might as well die. I mean, we might call it the stroppy teenage response if it wasn't so serious in what he says. You see, some people don't believe in God because they've got a wrong idea about who God is like. If you, um, One of the evening services we had two or three weeks ago, we, we looked at an interview with Stephen Fry and some of his accusations against God where we might want to say to him, no, that's not the God we believe in at all. That's not what he is like. But other times, it's not that people have misunderstood who God is. Sometimes they have understood him correctly. They just don't like what they see. That seems to be Jonah's problem. He's angry with God. Not with some kind of God who is a figment of his imagination, but who doesn't actually exist. No, Jonah is angry with the Lord himself and what he's done, with what he's said, kind of with his character. Verse 4. But the Lord replied... Is it right for you to be angry? And the implied answer to that question is a clear no. It's not right. And now in one sense, you can't blame Jonah. I will say this for him. He was presumably well aware of the kinds of cruelties and crimes which the people and the regime of Nineveh uh, was famous for in the ancient world. The kinds of things that they did to their enemies that are not to be mentioned in a family service. What Jonah therefore wants is God's justice. Now surely that's a good thing, isn't it? He has a sense of right and wrong. Give them what they deserve, is what Jonah is saying really. And of course justice is a good thing, isn't it? You know, God has ordained rulers uh, and governments and powers and authorities in the world to keep order, to maintain justice. Because yes, God absolutely cares about what is right and what is wrong. And he warns many times, doesn't he, of the consequences of ignoring his laws and his ways. You know, in the Old Testament, he warns Israel, his people. He quite often warns the other nations too. And when we get to Jesus, he's constantly warning people of where their sin will lead. His, re his refrain is kind of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Of course, the unusual thing about the people of Nineveh is that they heed the warning, don't they? That's the thing here. There are numerous examples in the Bible of nations and of individuals who don't listen to God and will not repent. In that sense, Nineveh is perhaps a bit of an outlier in some ways. The king and the people turn from their sins. We talked about it last week, you know, sitting here at the front, the king in his sackcloth, and they repent. And God has compassion, just as Jonah predicted it turns out that God's mercy triumphs over his judgment. And this is a theme that we've seen, um, if you've been here, numerous times through the book of Jonah. And Jonah says now, look, not having it, it's not fair. 
So, what do we do with all of this? I want to say Jonah is right to believe in fairness and justice, but he is not right to be angry, hence God's question. The first reason why Jonah is not right to be angry is that God's mercy is, in fact, just. That's the bit Jonah has got wrong. So it does feel like a problem, doesn't it? In this sense, I hope we can sympathise a bit with Jonah. If God just lets the Ninevites off, well, what does that mean about God? Does it mean that he's not actually just? The answer in the end is no. But the answer can only really be no when we understand the cross of Jesus and what it has done. Because what does the Lord do? What does a God do if he is a God who cares about right and wrong when he looks down at his world and sees all that is wrong in the world? When he sees you know, the, the crimes committed on a grand scale by regimes and nations, whether it's in Nineveh all those years ago or whether it's in Ukraine or somewhere else that you might think of today. When he looks down at the world and sees all the things that are, that are being got up to, gangs and, and criminals... But he also looks down and sees the hidden sins of each one of us that we hold on to in our hearts, that maybe we can keep hidden from each other, we can get away with most of the time, uh, the things that you don't know about me and I don't want you to know, and the things that you don't want the other people sitting in your pews to know about you, but God sees them. What does a just and good God do when he sees all of this stuff? Surely it would be neither fair nor good for him just to do nothing. The answer is this, the just God, who is even more a God of grace and compassion, does something almost unimaginable. We know it because we celebrate it week by week. He becomes human. He steps into this world of brokenness where it's all going wrong. He lives perfectly and obediently. He does what is right. He speaks what is right. He has godly passion for what is good. He speaks out against sin. He calls it out, and then he has mercy on those who sin anyway. Full of mercy for those who are hurting, for those who feel like failures, for those who have been cast out. Full of love. And then he goes and stands in the place of judgment. He doesn't just say, notice, it's all right, I'm not going to judge. Because that wouldn't be fair, would it? That wouldn't be just. There's no goodness in that. No, he says, judgment must fall. But he stands there and he lets it fall on himself, every bit of it. He takes the impact so that it does not need to be taken by you and me. In the end, why is Jonah wrong to be angry? Because there is nothing unjust about God's mercy. There is a price, a price to be paid for sin, but he pays it himself. Jesus pays it in this act of divine love, which is almost incomprehensible in its generosity and mercy. At the cross, the mercy of God and the judgment of God come together for the benefit of sinners who turn to him seeking hope. It's what Paul writes about in the book of Romans. And we looked at this last year, if you remember our series in the first half of Romans. In chapter 3, he writes about exactly this issue. How can God be just? How can it be righteous uh, for him not to bring calamity on those who fall short. And Paul says in Romans 3, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received through faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time 
so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So no, Jonah, don't be angry. You've understood something about God's justice. Uh, There is something to understand about his mercy. You need to grasp how they can only be held together at the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Okay, we have some questions here, don't we? Not for the first time in the book of Jonah. I certainly do. I don't know about you. You know, a couple of chapters ago, we had questions about that fish slash whale, didn't we? And how it was possible for this creature to rescue a man and keep him safe somehow inside its belly, vomit him up on a beach three days later on. Now we have a plant which is able to grow large enough to provide shade, apparently within one day. Forget the plant. Then there's a worm. What manner of worm is this? Which is then able to gnaw the plant and get rid of it the following day. We don't have worms like that in the vicarage garden. I'm very glad to say I've not discovered them yet. What I said about the the fish or whale two weeks ago, we can also apply here to the plant and the worm. Um, Let's not miss the point here. Sure, we have some science questions, don't we? I've got them too. I'd love to know the answers. How did the Lord do this? But if he is the Lord, well, if he can't do this, then we're wasting our time coming to church week by week, aren't we? The point surely is this, verse 8. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Notice God provided again. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And God says for a second time, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And again, the answer is no. The leafy plant is only there, we're told a couple of verses earlier on, because God provided a leafy plant. Here's reason number two why Jonah is is not right to be angry with God. It's that he is just as dependent on God's mercy as the people of Nineveh are anyway. God provided a plant. Did Jonah deserve that? No. This is the guy who's completely ignored God, isn't it? Run off in the opposite direction. He's only gone and done what he's been asked to do because God provided the fish, provided again. It's a common word in Jonah. And got him back to to Nineveh to do what he was called to do. He has run off in the opposite direction to that which the Lord called him in. Some might say a bit like the Church of England is in danger of doing. I'm not going to preach about that this morning, but I do want to name it. And I know some of you want to continue to have conversations about that. Does Jonah deserve God's grace and compassion? No, he doesn't. And when the worm eats the plant, does Jonah have a right to be angry about it? Absolutely not. He doesn't. He didn't create it, provide it, or send it. He's only still alive because of God's grace in providing things. The thing is this. Jonah has been repeatedly rescued by God in this story, like the Ninevites. Jonah deserves judgment, like you like me. But every day, 
God spares me. He withholds his judgment. He gives me life. So how should I feel when I see that God is sparing other sinners too? What about those people who have made life difficult for me? How should I feel about God showing mercy to them? What about people who maybe have hurt me? What about the people who maybe just irritate me? I've got no right to be angry with God if I've received mercy over judgment like Jonah did. Lastly, verse 9. It is right for me to be angry, Jonah said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. He's nothing if not persistent, is he? But the final couple of verses here give us a direct comparison between Jonah's attitude and God's. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It was the Lord that did that, wasn't it? It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Verse 11, and should not I have concern for that great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people. I mean, that's a metropolis in ancient world terms. 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. See, here is Jonah. He's angry about his comfort. Meanwhile, God has his eyes fixed on a broken world with people heading for destruction, and also many animals. I love those um, four little words at the end there. That, just that hint, that reminder that God's care is not only for people, but for the whole of creation. The size of his mercy is vast. So the third and final reason why Jonah is not right to be angry with God is that he's got the wrong perspective. He needs and we need to see things more as God sees them. What does the Lord see when he looks at Nineveh? He sees a city that's full of rebellion and he is filled with compassion and mercy to save it. That is how God looks at his broken world. Um, it's such an evocative phrase, isn't it? God says, shouldn't I be concerned for all these people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? In other words, these people who are lost and confused, they don't know which way to turn. They don't know where to look to find rescue and help. What they need, Jonah, is mercy. That is greater than judgment, but they have no idea where to find it. Shouldn't I be concerned about a city like that? What they need is living water that refreshes the soul, but they can't find the source. Jonah, are you saying I shouldn't care about that, that it would be right for me to ignore it? And I guess in, in a week like this week, when we have all been horrified by the destruction that we've seen um, in cities and towns in Syria and Turkey, not all that far from where the city of Nineveh was, now the city of Mosul in northern Iraq. Uh, and you know, we don't know what to say, do we, often? We don't know where to start. We can pray, and we will be doing that in a few moments' time. But there is at least a starting point of a reminder here of the God who we pray to, who is the God who looks at the brokenness of his world and says, shouldn't I care? He is not just distant and aloof. He says, should I not care? Uh, Jonah 4 is the story of a God who sees the situation of the people he has made and all of the brokenness of creation and his mercy and his compassion outweigh his judgment. So there we are. There is Jonah, self-absorbed, 
concerning himself with things that don't concern him. Things that do concern the God who says, I care about this world, I care about these people, and I have a right to help them. And we do well to remember as well that this is the same God who cares about the people of Thurnby, the people of Leicester. He cares about your friends and your family and your neighbours, your colleagues, many of them who do not know their right hand from their left. They haven't found the mercy of God in Jesus yet. He cares. We don't know what happened to Jonah after all this. Did he learn his lesson? That's what I want to know. Did he die a bitter man, still angry and resentful right to the end? I hope he didn't. Well, I can't do anything about that. But what about me? What about us? Have we learned from the book of Jonah God's compassion and his mercy towards those who need him? We have been reminded over these four weeks of the lengths that he will go to for people like you and people like me. Will we therefore care enough to show that love of God to those around us, to speak of our God who is a merciful God, who gives life and hope? Because we are those who have experienced for ourselves that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Let's pray. The Lord said, Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Thank you, our Father God, that you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Turn our hearts towards you, we pray, that we would not be like Jonah, but that we would be those who not only receive your mercy for ourselves, but show your mercy to others. In Jesus' name, amen.